Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. See, Vinny, just like fine wine, you get better and better with age. Systems a go here. Systems a go. Hey, everybody, it's Dutch Allen here on the Knapsack Files podcast feed. Some of you love me. Some of you hate me. <laughs> That's okay. Regardless, whoever you are, wherever you are, let's hope by the end of the night you get Go Picture, kids. That's right, me, Dutch Allen, former Hollywood producer, been around the big time uh, Hollywood scene, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. I'm not afraid to admit it. I'm not afraid to admit it. Now, some people are, and with, with good reason. I, I, I think uh, I think it's uh, age is a, is a number you got to protect sometimes, and that's fine. Petey's my producer. You might see him on the other side here. We're going to have a good time. What we got for tonight here, what we got for tonight, we got to talk about a couple of things, but there's some interesting thing going on here. If you're listening to this in a podcast form, you are listening to this show here on the Knapsack Files podcast feed, uh, home to such great shows as uh, uh, Life Rank, Three Things, Hot Sizzler Nights. I'm, I, I'll tell you what, I did, go, I did go to a sizzler once, 1987, uh, over on, uh, it was near Wilshire and Fairfax, uh, I took a business meeting there uh, about 19, 1987, 1988 with Steven Seagal. I liked the kid. I liked some of the action pictures he was in and doing. So I sat down with him and I said, hey, where do you want to go? And he, he was not big on talking. He was not big on having a personality. But, you know, he said, I don't know, I'm kind of hungry. I don't know what to choose. I said, you know what? You know what you can do? Follow me into the sizzler because that all you can eat salad bar. Uh, gives you a lot of choices, a lot of choices that you you wouldn't normally have in life. You know what I mean? You want uh, you want some uh, a salad? We all like salad. Salad's good. You want a salad, and you want to put on top of that salad, say something like a uh, crouton that's the size of a small car. You want to drizzle some Thousand Island dressing, but then at the halfway through making that salad, you think this isn't what I wanted. This salad doesn't get go picture over there. They got enchiladas, some hot cheese sauce, make a taco. Sizzle is the best place of all time. That's why I said to Seagal, 1988, uh, early 1988. That's why I might have thought it was 87. And we go over there. We go over there. We we order. We get up there. And I'm excited. I'm craving it. I'm like, uh, all you could eat salad bar, please. Back then, the price was $6.99. I think it's about $13.99 now. Uh, and, I, 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 and, so, and the person there, you know, I used to appear on the talk shows like the Merv Griffin Show, uh, uh, Dinah Shaw, and all that kind of stuff. So people know my face. Maybe not so much now, but people know my face. And uh, I, I, I go into the Sizzlers, I proudly, I mean, when I, when I say proudly, I, it was like I was standing at attention in the military and my commanding officer, Patton, was in front of me. I was like, I would like, I'm proud to have an all-you-can-eat salad bar. And it, I, it, it, it was the greatest moment of my life, right? I love this. You know, there's a lot of great moments I'm having, but this is one of the best. And I, I turn around, Steven Seagal, says to me, I'll wait outside. So we finished the business meeting outside after I finished my meal. 
I made that son of a bitch wait. I made him wait in the car. I had a Cadillac at the time. I said, get in the car. Roll down the windows if you want. You don't get the radio. I'm going to go finish my salad, my enchiladas, my taco, and maybe get it, uh, an ice cream. And then I'll come back out. We'll finish the meeting. We didn't make a picture. We didn't make a picture. That's it. Oh, I was starting to say I got distracted there. Here, I got distracted. Petey, there's sirens again there. Can we tell the Burbank Fire and Police Departments, because they have the same house over there, the same station. They share it in downtown Burbank. Tell them to keep it down a bit. Maybe respond quieter. Oh, you know what I mean? We got people checking in here. So uh, that's what I want to get to. If you're listening to this on a podcast, you're listening to this uh, either on the day it was released. Normally, I think Kenny releases them on uh, Wednesdays, uh, Wednesday mornings. Uh, or you maybe are listening uh, down the line somewhere. Time. You're listening to the podcast. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Uh, you got Go Picture. But there's some people actually watching this recording session live. Uh, what we're doing right now is we're having a little fun, a little experimentation here in the Knapsack Files uh, podcast feed and the Ked Knapsack Patreon page. Uh, we got some people watching me record this live. I got the little booth set up, or at least it looks like a little booth. Uh, kidding, though, it ain't a booth. You know what I mean? Kenny can't afford a booth. Um, but uh, people are watching live. So if you're listening to the podcast a little bit later on in the future, you might hear me say things like, uh, hey, Zach Anderson, how are you doing tonight? How's Wisconsin? And there's going to be a pause, and then someone in the chat room will respond back to me. A little bit later in the program, we're going to take some live questions from everyone out there watching, and it's a fun little thing. How do you get to watch? How do you get to do it? Well, I'll tell you, it's pretty simple. You support Ken Napsack, little Kenny Napsack, over on Patreon, uh, and you can get... Uh, Zach says it's very snowy. It's live. It's live. That's what we're doing. Uh, you can support Ken Napsack at any level, and uh, once a month, Dutch Allen, uh, me, that's me, will uh, broadcast live uh, as he records the Inside Tinseltown podcast here. They want to do a show with me. And I don't know what you think out there. And I know there's some people in the chat room. I'll say some of the names here. Abdul Bahada, uh, Tamor B. There is another. I got a name. Uh, Catherine's here. What's up, Catherine? How are you? Um, you like how I say, what's up? A person of my age normally doesn't say, what's up? Uh, uh, unless we're, we're at the doctor's office there. And I, uh, and I, I actually would be surprised if, I, if that was the case. But uh, I'm trying to be, I'm always trying to be hip. That's what we got here. In fact, I'm so hip. You know what I'm drinking tonight here? Let's take a big sip of this. Yeah, I am taking a, a, a vodka peach. I normally do the whiskey, straight up, rocks, doesn't matter, whiskey. Uh, but tonight, peach juice mixed in with vodka. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, you know the first person who told me about that, and I didn't believe her. I did not believe her. Rita Hayworth. I swear to God, Rita Hayworth was the first one years ago. We're talking decades. She said, Dutch. I'm not doing a voice, you know. She didn't sound like this old bat, but uh, she said, uh, Dutch, you got you to gotta change it up a little bit. You're always doing the whiskey. Vodka. And I said, what the hell goes with vodka? And she said, everything. She said it just like that. She paused. She was a great performer. Rita Hayworth was. She looked at me. She said, everything. And then she pulled out some peach juice, mixed it. We had a good night. I didn't try it then, though. I stuck with whiskey. And that's a lesson. That's a lesson to you. Try new things. Try new things. Rita Hayworth offers you a vodka peach. You take it. We're talking about inside Tinseltown here tonight. That means we go inside Hollywood. I give you some of my stories, things. But we always do like to talk about things. And uh, I got some things uh, that I watched recently. This is the place I like to do little reviews. We talk about some of the movie news. And then at the end of the show, I'm going to take some questions 
from the audience watching me live right now. Yeah. And I'm glad, I'm glad you're all there watching live. It's really interesting. To, I don't like people looking at me when I talk. Uh, unless one time I'll tell you what, who I like looking at you when you talk. He was just recently on it. It's Alan Alda. I'll tell you something. A lot of you probably haven't had a chance to, t- to uh, talk to Al Alda. But uh, you, you sit down and have a conversation. He's all in. He's there. He's present with you. He is right there. And he's got soft, calming eyes. He just, I, I would have some bad times and I'd stop by uh, the MASH set out there, uh, Topanga, Malibu area out there. And I'd just drive, you know, we'd have a bad day on set uh, trying to make pictures. We had a picture going with Charles Bronson. And uh, Chuck Bronson, uh, the thing about Chuck Bronson is he, he enjoys, he at the time, uh, he enjoyed being a movie star. I don't think Chuck Bronson enjoyed making a movie. And it's a, it's a process. You don't just show up on set, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, you got a movie. And I think that upset Chuck Bronson. And uh, we, I was having a bad day in the set. And I'll tell you, drove up to where they were shooting M.A.S.H., and I get up there, and the security up there, the times were different, right? Times were different. And I walk up there, and I park my car, and they said, excuse me, do you have a, do you have a pass? And I, and, I don't, and I don't treat them bad. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And I said, yeah, I just looked at them and said, Dutch Allen, and I'm here to see Al Alda. And the guy pauses, and he goes, I see you're having a bad day. I'll go get Al, Al Alda for you. I go to set. I go to set there, and Alan Alda, Al, pulls me into his trailer, sits me down. He looks me right in the eyes and says, you tell me how you want to get better. I look at him like, what, what, do, you, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you mean? He said, no, you, you're not having a good time. You're not feeling good. You're down. But you... You're going to get yourself out of this. You just have to decide how. I mean, I'm not lying here, folks. This is about 1979. He's one of the biggest TV stars in the world. And I'll say it, I'll say it now, one of the biggest TV stars ever. And I had an answer. I'm going to share it with not on, only myself. It's for me and Al Alda. But I got out of it that way. And we finished the picture with Chuck Bronson. It was good. Um, so uh, we're, we're going to talk about a couple of things here. First thing I want to talk about there is I watched, I watched, I, I, little, I got a little bit under the weather. I, I did some traveling to uh, back home uh, to the New York area there. Um, and, I, and I saw the, these two documentaries. I, was a little under, I came back from NYC and I, I was, it was in bed for a little bit. And I, I saw a lot of people on the internet talking about this uh, one particular uh, fire festival is what it was called. Uh, and, uh, I, I said, uh, there's some documentaries and I love a good documentary about this. So I, uh, I sat down, curled myself up in bed, uh, and I, I, I grabbed, uh, the controller and I got some of them streaming services. It's not easy for me to use, but I got it. And I, and I, and I, it took me, I'll tell you what, Petey, 38 minutes to find the first documentary on Netflix is the one I watched first. Because I, for the love of God, I kept spelling fire correctly. There was documentaries about the Detroit Fire Department. There was uh, the 1980s movie Firestarter with Drew Barrymore. That came up. Uh, there was uh, like a Dragon Fire straight to Netflix movie or something like that. All these weird things came up. 
and not one of them about a fire festival or a festival of fire. Um, so I, I was 38 minutes. You know what? 38 minutes is how long it cooks me, it takes me to cook a chicken cordon bleu in my, in my oven when the help's gone for the weekend. Because I, I, I enjoy a good cook, and uh, I like to cook, you know? And, and it, 38 minutes in the oven. 38 minutes it took me piling around, scooting around Netflix, trying to find this festival of fire. It turns out they spell it with a Y. Fire festival. Fire festival. F-Y-R-E. Hip. I guess that's hip. So I sat down and tried to watch it there. And I tell you what, I am of mixed mind about this documentary there. Because on one hand, I look at the future. I look at the children. uh, I believe the children are kind of our future. I don't know if they are our future there. Um, Sometimes it depends. But uh, a lot of mistakes were made. A lot of silliness. People ended up spending the night in like a hazmat tent. Let me tell you something. I've done that too. I've done that. Me, Burt Reynolds, Sally Field, Dom DeLuise. You guys have heard me tell stories about them before. We did that. We went on a camping trip out by Three Mile Island. Burt Reynolds said, don't worry. I know a way over. I got a boat. Dom DeLuise brought some bagels. I brought a jacket. We went out there. We were stuck there for four days. And luckily, uh, following the uh, the events of Three Mile Island, uh, they had left some uh, tents and some gear there. We, four of us, cuddled up, cold uh, cold East Coast night, and we sat over there. And I was like, now I I really got go picture. You know what I mean? It was a, it was a fun night. Anyways, uh, I don't so I don't fault these kids, but it's it's infuriating. But here's the thing about every generation. Every generation, a lot of people in my generation might 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 sit there and and they and they cast aspersions at the younger generation. And I I got no problem with that because the younger generation sometimes is stupid. Plain and simple. Um, so what ends up happening there is uh, you know, this kid Billy goes and for he wants to throw a party. Who doesn't want to throw a party? And he and he and he rents this island, and then it turns out. He can't rent the island because the drug lord had it, and they weren't supposed to mention that, and they make a commercial with bikini models, and, you know, and let me tell you something. I, I like I, I, uh, I like what they were trying to do. They were trying to put these, these models on, a, on an island with pigs and saying, come party like a, a model with a pig. I don't know what the appeal was, but it was there. And uh, it reminded me, you know, the, the only person that really could have sold this festival of fire in the right way was Bridget Bardo. You tell, you put, you put her in a one piece. That's all you need. You put her in a one piece, uh, put it, a, put a, a poster. You don't even need video. Don't even need video. You'd have 10,000 people out there on that island. You'd have people trying to be the little pigs swimming in the ocean. It's all little pigs. Anyways, I digress. So they create this atmosphere and people go out there and, and it's nothing. They're serving cheese sandwiches. Uh, there's a lot of money that's, uh, disappearing. It's a disaster. Uh, they have, uh, uh, J.A. Rule, a uh, musician. He's out there. He's part of the team. Uh, and this kid, Billy, uh, first of all, the guy's got a Coke problem. Let's be honest, because every, every two minutes in the documentary, uh, he's disappearing. He's depressed and he's sad. And he wanders off into the, uh, uh Bahama, Bahamas wilderness. How do you say it, Petey? Bahamanian wilderness. I don't know. I'm probably offending someone. 
he walks out there and uh, uh, he'd come back all happy and scrappy. I, I was in Hollywood in the 1980s. Hell, I'm in Hollywood now. I know what that means. He's doing the powder. And it, this whole thing collapses. And I'm watching these sad tales of uh, this lady, lady that owns a restaurant. I don't know if she was the one making the cheese sandwich. First of all, there's something I want to say about cheese sandwiches. I, I think cheese sandwiches have got the raw end of the deal following all this fire festival stuff there. Um, I, I think there's something underrated and underappreciated about a cheese sandwich. I do enjoy sandwich meats. I do enjoy tomatoes. I enjoy lettuce. I enjoy uh, all, the, all the condiments you want. I'm getting hungry thinking about it then. Um, I enjoy all that stuff. But sometimes that can get in the way. But if you give me a slice of cheese, some mayonnaise, lightly spread, two slices of wheat, I'll take the crust. Petey, you look like someone that doesn't take the crust. I'm happy. Cheese sandwich. So someone took a picture of this and they posted it on Instagram and it caused all these problems and this is the food. But hey, if, you, if you're promising caviar, and all those, uh, you know, uh, filet mignon, and then you get a cheese sandwich. I understand. I understand. Um, but anyways, my point in this is, this isn't new. This isn't new. And every generation here wants to cast aspersions on the generation that's kind of holding court now. And I'm, I'm very familiar with that. All right? I was a young kid once, too, riding my bicycle, sticking... Uh, Gum, baseball gum cards in the spokes of my tires, playing stickball in the streets. Wanting to be Mel Ott. That was my favorite baseball player of all time. I know some of the people watching live, if you're watching live and you're still with me, thank you so much for sticking with me here. But I know there's some baseball fans out there. Uh, there's a listener, Kyle Harlow. Uh, he's a baseball fan. He'll tell you Mel Ott, one of the best left-handed hitters in the game ever. And that was the baseball player I wanted to be. And so, I'd, in fact, they used to go, you know, they, uh, they, would, they would not call me Dutch around my neighborhood. They'd call me Little Ott, Little Ott Allen. And every time we played stickball, high leg kick from the left side. I was a natural right-handed batter. That's probably why I didn't do so good. But I'd do that high Mel Ott leg kick, swing for the fences. I once broke my father and mother's neighbor's kitchen window 17 times in one summer. Little lot. That's that was me. Uh, anyways, uh, back then, you know, I, you know, the, the, my father and mother, their generation, would look down on us and say, "Oh, what are you doing, huh? Is this what you want out of life? You think you know everything? You got your radio? You're listening to your radio stories?" You li- my my father said, "You know, I had a I had a walk seventeen miles into Flatbush to watch the trolley Dodgers play for for half a half a quarter." cost an outfield seat, and then I'd have to walk back. The, the, the trolleys weren't always working back then because electricity was still new or something. And uh, I'd go back from a trolley dodger game. The whole thing would take me 17 hours. And here you are sitting down in your bedroom listening to a baseball game on your radio programs. What's wrong with your generation? That's what my father would say. And I'd say, I'm going to, Dad, one of these days, they're going to call me the next Mel Ott, and you 
are going to be proud of me. Uh, I never played baseball after ninth grade, um, but after I won my first Oscar for producing, um, I looked out into the crowd and said, this one's for you, Dad. Uh, he died the next year, and we never really spoke much, and this is a sad story. He doesn't end happy. But the last thing he said to me is, I'm getting emotional. The last thing my father said to me was, you know what, son? Mel Ott never won an Oscar. I'm going to need a moment, Pete. You can keep the show going there. I'll just take a sip of the vodka. But the point is this. Every generation looks at the generations behind it and says, we had it tougher. You're, you're uh, too soft. And you don't know what's coming. You don't know what's what. I look at those kids who had all their money in their bank account and nothing to do with that money. And they wanted to be like the models that they're swiping right on. I don't know how that works, Petey. Uh, if I was a younger man, I'd, I'd swipe right on a lot of things, but I can barely swipe up, if you know what I mean. And I'll tell you, they just wanted to swim with pigs and models. I wanted to be the next Melot. My dream didn't really come true. Why can't theirs come true? A bunch of well-to-do youngsters wanted to set up a fancy event out into the desert landscape. A desert island in this case, but it was a, a desert tropical landscape, right? Where have I heard that before? Where have I heard that before? That's right. Las Vegas. That worked out pretty good. That worked out pretty good. So, I watched that fire festival documentary. And there's a lot of things in it that made me mad and a lot of things about that generation that I don't get. But they just want to have a good time. They had thousands upon thousands of dollars to spend. They took a school bus, a crowded plane with the seats barely bolted down. And they went out and they got a cheese sandwich. It didn't work out the way they planned, just like I am not in the Baseball Hall of Fame and I am not referred to as the next Mel Ott. But life takes you to where you need to go and I think everyone there, I, I don't have a problem. Now that Billy kid, he's in jail and I hope he rots there and dies. Let's talk about the Oscars here as we go there. Then I want to take some questions from the nice folks watching this broadcast live. People like Catherine who, uh, who joked, we didn't start the fire, but spelt it the way the fire festival people did. And Catherine, you bring up something good there. Uh, we didn't start the fire is uh, probably my third favorite Billy Joel song. But I'll tell you what, there was a weekend out in the Hamptons in 1987. Me, Billy Joel, Christy Brinkley, and David Byrne from the Talking Heads. Uh, and he wasn't invited. He just was going to a show, got lost, knocked on our door, for directions, uh, and we invited him in. And David Byrne, Billy Joel, Christy Brinkley, and myself sat up uh, all, all night outside roasted marshmallows. I'm here with one of the biggest rock and roll stars of all time. It's still rock and roll to me, baby. Billy Joel, the piano man. And he is he is struggling to get that marshmallow on the stick. 
He's struggling hard. And David Burns there, his suit is about 14 times too big. Uh, and Christy Brinkley, one of, still to this day, one of the most beautiful creatures to ever walk this planet, is looking across here at Billy Joel, and he's fumbling like a New York Giant football player trying to get the, the marshmallow on the stick. Uh, you know, and look, we all, it's natural. Sometimes you can't get the marshmallow on the stick, but I can. I don't know. I'm thinking this guy's got the, he's got the fingers. He's got the fingers of a virtuoso. He can play any song anywhere. He creates magic. Give us a song. You're a piano man. Give us a song. I don't know how the lyrics go. He can't get him. And I look at him. I go, Billy. What's going on here? You got to be careful. You didn't start that fire. I know it's hot, and you're going to drop that marshmallow in there, and it's going to burn, baby. He goes, hold on just a second. I need to go to my, my room and make a note of something. I didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. Christy Brinkley didn't say anything. David Byrne just sat there dancing in a suit, said, I got to go to the show. He comes back and says, thanks, I made a note. You made me think of something. I'm telling you, a couple years later, Billy Joel releases the song, We Didn't Start the Fire. I call him up. I say, Billy, William, what, what's going on here? I think I'm owed some royalties, right? And he says, look, all I can tell you is that was the best schmores I ever had. Thank you. And he sent me a thing of whiskey. 12-year McKellen. I said, oh, you know what? We're good. Let's talk about the Oscars. There is a lot of things going on with the Academy Awards, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, much like the Super Bowl is not something you can say often without getting in trouble by the NFL. But um, the Academy Awards uh, is going through a little problem. The ratings aren't the best here. The ratings aren't the best, and I've got a little document up here, and if you're watching live, you're going to see me moving around my computer screen here. We got uh, The ratings uh, are not quite, well, yeah, so t- uh, 2018, 2.6, no, excuse me, 26.5, <laughs> I can, don't make a comment, I can read numbers, all right? I gave people go pictures with big numbers attached to their budgets and their contracts, I can read this. In 2018, the Academy Awards... Uh, broadcast got 26.5 million viewers. That sounds like a lot, except for when you consider in 2017, it was 32.9, 2016, 34.3, 2015, 37 million, then 2014, 43 million viewers of the Academy Awards broadcast. Now, the highest going back a few years is 1998, where over 55 million people were watching it. And to my knowledge, that's the highest uh, outside of the 1983 Academy Awards, which was 53 million people. And I was there in attendance for that one. I can tell you that much as well. Afterwards, me, John Travolta, and Dustin Hoffman got drunk and ended up at the Brown Derby in Hollywood when it was still up there. And one of us, I won't say which one, fell asleep on top of a waiter. But 55 million is uh, the highest uh, one in 1998. Uh, that was the year where we got Saving Private Ryan, uh, losing out to Shakespeare in Love, which is fine. 
Gwyneth Paltrow's a sweetheart. A lot of people give a lot of crap. They really do. They really do, but that's a shame. Uh, I know a mother, Blythe Danner, a great lady. Uh, Bruce, uh, what's what's her father? I don't. I didn't know her father too well. It doesn't matter. Anyways, night from 1998, 55 million. We've dropped down to 26.5 million people. Guess what, my friends? The Oscars got a problem. Not a lot of people are watching it. 26 million still a lot. Yes, that's a lot of people. They've got to make some changes. And I tell you what, I've I've been to a lot of these there, but what's what. what What's funny, what's happening is a lot of these people are getting upset. The fa- when I say people, I say fans. Uh, I heard this thing, this co- it's called Film Twitter. And uh, it's apparently a lot of people uh, are upset about the Oscars. Because the Oscars have cut some awards from the telecast. The Oscars have vowed, the producers have vowed to shorten the program. And uh, this year they're not going with some hosts because... Uh, there was a bit of a controversy around their selected host, and I'm not here to comment on that. Um, I just say this. Don't tweet or say anything if your intention is to hurt others. Um, but they're going with no host, and that's fine. You don't need a host. But everyone's upset. Everyone's upset because, like, the cinematographers and the editors, they're going to get their rewards during the bathroom breaks. So the telecast is going to go to a commercial, so you're at home, we're going to be sitting there, going to our bathrooms, uh, you know, making more, I don't know what you make for for Oscar dinner, uh, Petey, it's, it's, to me, it's it's not unlike the Super Bowl, I get some nachos, uh, some chips and salsa, and maybe a, maybe a cheese sandwich, and I watch the Oscars, I haven't attended in a few years, that's okay, I understand Hollywood, message received, um, so uh, what ends up happening is, um, everyone's upset, you're not paying the respects to cinematographers, to editors, uh, to the sound guys, to the gaffers, to the best boys, all those things. And you know what? Every one of those people deserves respect. They are the reason movies get made. Absolutely. I have no doubt about that. But no, no one who is in that category of professional is worried about uh, the spotlight, the limelight. Directors, actors, producers like myself, we're the assholes. We're the, you know, we're the assholes that are looking for the spotlight. People like, and Zach Anderson, who's watching live as we record this in beautiful Wisconsin. I think he said he lives in Milwaukee. I uh, definitely uh, went there. I've uh, been there a few times. Um, great cheese or cheese sandwiches. Um he says you can't forget craft services. Well, yeah, they make movies happen too, but you know what? We're not handing out any awards to craft services. Oh, no. What are we going to do? Craft services isn't getting a gold statue. That's, it's, here's the thing. It's nice. I've been, I've had the opportunity, I should say, to stand up on that stage and receive an award. You know? I've, I've been there watching the award presentations. And here's the secret. You watching at home are probably really concerned about this, and I believe each and every one of you have an emotional go picture. In your hearts, you are well-intentioned. You want to see these people, these below-the-line people, get recognized, and you want to see them on screen. That's great. That is great. 
but I want you to put yourself into the mindset of a producer, not like me, who's making pictures with Chuck Bronson, uh, a producer of this Oscar telecast. You've lost 6 million viewers almost yearly. You are nowhere near hitting 55 million, and most of these Oscar telecasts are going five and a half hours. Let me tell you something. After five and a half hours of Billy Crystal's schmeckle on my Dougal jokes, I want to run out into Hollywood Boulevard and get hit by a car. You've got to do something to make this better. And you might not like it, but the fine people of the world, and let's be honest, mostly the United States of America, because we're sucker, we're suckers for glitz and glamour, most of them people, they want to see George Clooney on stage handing out an award to Angie Jolie, right? That's who they want to see. They don't want to see, and the winner for best sound syncing in a short film made for a European market goes to Chet. Come on, Chet. Get your award. No one wants to see that. And that sucks. That sucks to hear. But all these people complain about it. Your hearts, I'm not casting aspersions on you. Your hearts are in the right place. You're, you're a cinephile. But this is business. There's one thing Dutch Allen knows. All right? One, two things Dutch Allen knows. One, what is a good or bad cheese sandwich? Second, I don't remember. <laughs> Second is, this is a business, actually. I do remember. It's not a Dutch Allen show unless I forget where I was at least once in the program. This is a business. The Oscars are a television program. What are television programs judged on? You guessed it. Ratings. Ad money. Ad revenue. It's George Clooney handing a golden statue to Angie Jolie. That's what this is about. We all want to see Chet win his award for sinking the sound on the short film that was made in Argentina. He probably did a wang-bang job. All right? But that's going to lose all the viewers, and I'm not just talking about people in the flyover states, because I think that's insulting to say flyover states. The middle of this country, some of the best, best parts of the world, to be honest. And the people on the coast, we can get a little smug. We, we like to feel good about ourselves. We like to say, oh, we want to see Chet win the sound sinking for short films made, made an Argentina award. But you know what we're doing? You know what we're doing during the awards? When those awards are being handed out, we're talking to the people next to us. 1986. I, don't, I was there at the broadcast. I wasn't up for anything. I was, I was very fortunate to be invited. 1996, uh, 1986, excuse me, I was there. You know, what, you know what I spent the whole evening doing? I don't remember the awards. I don't remember who won. I don't remember who hosted. I don't remember a damn thing about it. You know why? Because I was sitting next to Mark Harmon and Pam Dobner. And I was talking to Mark Harmon, who was recently voted the sexiest man in the world. And hot damn, that was right. 
And I was sitting down and I, tell you, I thought he was going to be a big movie star. I totally thought he was going to be a big movie star, that he was going to make the big transition. It didn't work out that way. He's doing good now. He's solving crimes on like one of them uh, criminal uh, CIS shows or something like that. Law and murder or something like that. And uh, I, I spent the whole time talking to, to Mark Harmon and his wife, Pam, uh, who was on in Walk and Mindy and was, was one of my favorite programs to watch while drunk uh, uh, in the early 80s. Uh, so... And by the way, I hung out with Robin Williams a lot during that time. We we would meet in the comedy store parking lot. I was trying to get Robin Williams to do a good picture, a good comedy picture with me. Instead, he went and did Popeye. I think that was okay. His career, I, I miss him dearly. Rest in peace, Robin. But it was some good times. I don't remember most of those times, is he? But that's what I was doing at the 1986 Academy Awards. So Chet Sr., was probably winning the award for best lighting in a motion picture made uh, with lights. And I don't remember. People at home like to think that that's important. It's not really important. These award shows are parties for the bigwigs. They're parties for the so-called elite. You know what I mean? So to sit there and climb on some kind of high horse and say, Ah, we need to see the cinematographers because Roger Deakins, you know, uh, he was such a great cinematographer. And if he was, you know, awarded an Oscar, we want to watch it. And that's great. That's great if you got a podcast about cinematography. And I bet if you do, uh, you're on the very bottom of the rankings. Um, No one on the telecast needs to see that. And And it's hard to say. It's, I know it's tough for me to say. I don't like to be that kind of person. I'm not a Dutch. Dutch Allen is a lot of things. He's a lot of things, but he's not a tell it like it is type of person. I don't like, I don't like to be that kind of bully. I don't like to be the kind of rude person. If you're one of those people out there, you're like, ah, I just tell it like it is. That usually means people don't want to invite you to their parties. But unfortunately, this is just the situation. there. And as far as not having a host, I don't think you need a host. I don't really think you need a host. Uh, hosts are okay. I, I actually loved it when Letterman did it. I loved it when Steve Martin did it. I thought uh, I thought Baldwin, Alec Baldwin was good. He can be a bit of a grump backstage, but he was good. I feel sorry for Anne Hathaway. She, she did it. She took a chance. That kid's got moxie, and she got stuck with Franco. And I think Franco, I have no problem with Franco as a performer. He's a weird guy. Stay away from him the times I've met him. But, you know, we're not of the same generation. I don't need a party with James Franco. Know what I want to. Uh, but I, I don't, Anne Hathaway, a lot of people don't like Hathaway. I don't understand why. She's a sweet girl, and she, she, she took a chance, and, and, it, and it flopped. And now it always, it always hangs over her head. No one wants to host these Academy Award shows. No one wants to. You know why? Because it's, it's a job with, with, with absolutely no gratitude built into it. No one cares. I saw, I forget the year, Chris Rock, and I love Chris Rock. He was, a, he was a, he's a spectacular stand-up comic. I was there at the Hollywood Improv one time uh, uh, watching some stand-up comedy, which I like to do from time to time, and it was about a week before the Academy Awards and uh, early 2000 range, maybe mid-2000. Peter, you look it up and let me know. Um, and Chris Rock, Chris Rock walks in, and does a what they call in the stand-up comedy business a walk-on set. He wasn't scheduled. He just showed up and said, "Hello, I'm Chris Rock. Can I get up on stage?" And so they did. He bumped a comic. Uh, a comic went up before him who was uh, who was okay. His name was Kenny. And um, Chris Rock goes on stage, 
and says, and he jokes, and everyone's clapping, you know, and, and uh, he says, hey, you know, I got to host this award show at the end of the week. It was like a Sunday, and, and at the, you know, end of the week, uh, or, or if, uh, maybe it was, a, I don't, I forget, but he says, I got to host the Oscars next week. Oh, that's right. Everyone remembers. Yeah, you got to host the Oscars, Chris Rock. You're not on, uh, you're not on Mad TV anymore. You got to host the Oscars. So was it Mad TV or was it Exit 57? The kids in the hall, I can't remember. Um, so he was, so he, he does his material. I'm telling you, does this material almost verbatim to what he would do a week later on the Oscar telecast. And there wasn't a person in that sold out Hollywood improv, which can seat about 225. Not a person in that theater wasn't laughing. I mean, I'm talking screaming with laughter. The next comic that came up had to follow him. It was impossible. And we're all thinking, this Academy Awards is going to be the best of all time. Chris Rock's going to kill it. People are going to say, have him host the Oscars from now to the end of time. So Chris Rock goes up on the show. I'm, I'm at home this year. I wasn't there live. We're live. That's all right. I go there. Chris Rock, crickets, polite titters from the Hollywood elite. Let me tell you something. The ratings weren't that great. Chris Rock did not receive a heap of praise. And there's no reason for him to come back and host the Academy Awards. The reason is no one in that building gave one damn about what was going up on stage. They're thinking about what parties they're going to go to, what parties they can get into, what they can do right now in the bathrooms. Uh, and it's not all going to the bathroom, you know what I mean? Where's the next drink? Who's sitting next to them? And please, for the love of God, get this sound guy Chet off my stage. So that I saw firsthand because I'd never really seen that before. You know, uh, I, I've been in person. Uh, I've been in attendance when some of the greats hosted it. Bob Hope, Carson, all that. Kind. I was in I was in attendance. I was in attendance for the greatest. We all know the greatest moment in the Academy Awards ever was in 1974, where the streaker ran across the stage. And David Niven talks about his the guy's shortcomings. By the way, also, uh, uh, I also uh, have uh, done a few uh, uh, streaking incidents in my life. I'll talk about that on uh, Dutch Allen After Dark. Um, that's the, that is the greatest moment in the history of the Academy Awards. A hippie runs by with his balls flapping in the wind, and esteemed, very British David Niven says, Mm-hmm, uh, it's f- the only thing that man will ever get a laugh from is showing his shortcomings. And the crowd, we all, we all went, <laughs> It was crazy. It was crazy. No one remembers who won that year, unless you have a podcast about it. No one remembers who lost that year, unless you're in some sort of competitive movie trivia league. The only thing they remember is some naked guy sprinted past David Niven. Popping. Ratings. Buzz. That's what it's about. It's not about who's winning the awards. Don't fall for it. They're nice. I had my moment. I was friends. One of my early mentors in the business was Ernest Borgenheim. Ernie won an Academy Award, early 50s, but 50, 51, I can't remember, for Marty, right? 
it was a great moment for Ernie. But you know what? You know what he did with that statue? You know what he did with that statue? He put it in his garage behind a golf bag and a tennis racket and a shoe. Not even two pairs of shoes. A shoe. I'm not even sure if it was a left or right. He was proud of it. He was okay with it. But it didn't mean the world. It's nice to watch. It's nice to get them. But really, the only thing we're there for is to get drunk. Don't fall for it. Don't be one of those people's that attacks the Academy Awards. It's a show. If they want to put in some more popular pictures so that more people will watch, hot damn. I like Black Panther. I thought that was a great movie. It reminded me of a weekend I spent with Pam Brown in 1976. It was great. The weekend and the movie. So I have absolutely no problem that a superhero picture Specifically, Black Panther gets nominated, and there's people out there complaining about that. Give Kugler a moment in the sun, but you know what Kugler's going to be doing? He's going to be wanting the show to end so we can go potty, and then so we can wake up and get back to work and making the beautiful pictures he makes. The awards will help. You know when the awards help? Let me tell you a little secret here. Dutch Allen. Inside Tinseltown on the Knapsack Files podcast feed, let me give you, let me give you a little bit of inside information. You know what the awards are good for? Contract negotiations, not prestige. Don't forget that. All right, Petey, I want to start wrapping up, but before we do that, I want to take some questions live from this audience. So if you are just joining the podcast right now, which to be weird, I don't know, would you ever download a podcast and then join it halfway through or 50 minutes in? Let me just skip to this part of the podcast. Anyways, for those who might have missed it in the beginning, uh, this is a audio recording, but this was recorded live on YouTube on an unlisted link that the Knapsack Files Patreon supporters got access to. So, because of that, in honor of that, I'm going to take some live questions from this audience in the chat room now. But first, I'm going to take a sip of my vodka peach drink in honor and memory of Rita Hayworth. All right. That sounds good. All right. First question is from Kyle Harlow. Kyle Harlow, uh, I think he spent some time in Chicago, but now he lives closer to Iowa, is what he told me there. And um, he's got a question here. Did I ever work with Orson Welles? Uh, Did I ever work with Orson Welles? I did not so much work with Orson Welles as I shared a meal with him on a number of occasions at Musso and Frank's in Hollywood. Orson Welles was a man of many appetites, Kyle, uh, to those listening. And uh, I, there's something, so I never worked with him again. But I would take regular meals with him. We broke bread together many times. And he sat down with me one time and says, Dutch, I have to talk to you about a possible job. I'm doing a very bad Orson Welles. And I said, what, what you got? What you got, Orson? Give it to me. Give it to me. 
Uh, this was in the uh, this was in the eighties, early eighties. He says, "I've been offered a animated cartoon movie role." I said, uh, "Oh, what's it for?" I uh, I'm hip. I'm trying to um, I'm trying to uh, make some uh, uh, TV programs based off toys that people want. So uh, you know, what do you got? Is it is it He Man, Masters of the Universe? Like, what is it? And he says it's for something called Transformers. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, Transformers, I'm familiar with it. Um, I think you know what do, what do they want you to do? And he says, "Oh, they want me to, they want me to, uh, you know, read for a role, uh, something called Unicron." And I said, ah, I said "Oh, that, that's a go picture." I said, "Orson, go picture. Finish your pasta. Finish your wine. Have more of that garlic bread. Get up." Get over to the studio and record that. He did that. I mean, we finished the meal. Therefore, I was the reason Orson Welles was cast and accepted the role in the Transformers animated movie, uh, playing the, the part of the big planet that eats all the other planets. So, Kyle, I didn't work with him per se, but we were familiar. Uh, Will McLean asks, what's the key to making it big? Will, I'll tell you right now. I'm going to take a puff on my cigarette. The thing you need to know about making it big, Will, the secret no one will tell you, and Dutch is giving you secrets. The secret to making it big is to not want to make it big. The people that get off the bus in this town and they come from Iowa where they're hanging out at House Hollow or they come from Ohio, a lot of them come from Ohio, um, they show up here and they get off the bus, they get off the train or the plane or the automobile and they say, hey, I'm here to take on this city and I'm going to pound it into submission and I'm going to be the biggest star in the world. Bam. Two years, they're back in Canton, Ohio. Uh, they're back in F- Canal Fulton, Ohio, working at the Toys Time Forgot because Hollywood forgot them. Will, the people that make it big are the people that show up to work. Don't forget it. Uh, Tamor B, which is, uh, I'm telling you, you should check out Tamor B's first album. Uh, what did I win an Oscar for? I, uh, I've won a few Oscars. Uh, my uh, last Oscar... Uh, was in 1989 for uh, Driving Miss Daisy. I was one of the executive producers. Uh, I was in attendance. I chose not to get up on the stage. You're not going to find video footage of me up there. Uh, so uh, Driving Miss Daisy, Danny Aykroyd. Dan, uh, Jessica Tandy was just a royalty to me. Just royalty. Uh, I had uh, met her earlier. I, I was a, a producer uh, a silent producing partner on a movie called Batteries Not Included, and uh, her husband was in that movie. And I had met I had met her, and I said, "We got to do we got to do a picture together." And uh, I I used to go uh, ghost hunting with Danny Aykroyd, and uh, I got some great stories about that for another time. Uh, me, Ramus, uh, Belushi. Uh, this is back in the, the late seventies, eighties. Was the first time we did it. 
I don't think a lot of people know that about Danny Aykroyd. He's been he's been batshit from the beginning. Uh, but anyways, uh, I said I want to put Danny Aykroyd. I think he's got. I think he's better than people give him credit for. I think they see him as a comedy guy. Um, and uh, I we may we may drive him miss miss uh, miss Daisy. Um, all right. Uh, I don't know. If, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Did it win? I can't remember. Aykroyd won. All right, uh, we got a question from Sir Thomas Tatal. We won for something like sound design. We sent a guy Chet up on stage. Uh, Sir Thomas Tatal, when does the Dutch Allen production masterclass start? That's a great idea. That's a great idea. Um, I don't know if I can get some uh, if I get someone to shoot it and edit it for me. I might do that. I, I've been I've been approached by the masterclass people. Um, not to participate in a masterclass from the point of view of being the teacher, but I've received some emails asking me to sign up. Um, I, uh, I did sign up for the uh, Aaron Sorkin one, and uh, it, it, I did not learn anything from it. Um, next question is from Griffin Jones. What's your least favorite actor or actress you've worked with? All right. Well, first of all, Griffin, there's what I, I'll tell you what, I don't like to use the term actress, uh, I use uh, actor. Uh, I don't like to designate the two. The Academy Award still does. It's a complicated thing, and don't feel bad for saying it. All right, Griffin. I am not here to cast aspersions, but I say actor, female or male actor. I don't always say the actor part. Sometimes I just say actor because I'm not an idiot. Uh, who is the least favorite actor that I worked with? Uh, it is without a doubt, uh, and he's. It's funny because I actually like him. Um, but it's without a doubt Bruce Willis. And you've heard, I know you're going to say, whoa, hey, Dutch, we've already heard these stories from Kevin Smith. It's, it's, every second of it's true. Uh, we worked together on Hudson Hawk. I thought we had an opportunity for a great action comedy picture. He showed up to set the first day. He didn't care. Him and Chuck Bronson, and I actually like Chuck Bronson. Chuck Bronson and I were good. We'd go out for beers afterwards. He just was difficult on the set and, and ruined a year of my life. But I'm telling you, Bruce Willis, not unlike Chuck Bronson, wants to be the star. When he's interested, he'll work for it. But most of the time, not interested. He already knows who he is. Though I'll tell you what, as much as I uh, have cast aspersions on Bruce Willis there, I do own a copy of his first album, uh, Return of Bruno. Uh, And it's an LP that guy can sing. All right. J.W. Bassman, 22001. So he sounds like, a, this sounds like a Russian bot, um, but I'm happy to have you on board here. J.W. Bassman says, uh, have you visited Hearst Castle? Oh, have I visited Hearst at his castle in San Simeon? Both. Uh, William Randolph Hearst Castle up there, uh, uh, is uh, it's a sight to behold if you haven't seen that up in San, San Simeon. Uh, I, I often go and stay in Cambria, California. Good wine place by the beach, small city. We go up there, and then we, had, we head on up to Hearst Castle. But now it's tours. Now it's a tourist attraction, and it's like a historical uh, landmark and that kind of thing. But I went there back in the day uh, where I was actually invited. I was a young pup, but I go up there. Have a good time. Uh, I was up there with Cary Grant. I was up there with uh, Doris Day, that whole crew, that whole era. 
didn't really, they didn't really invite me in, you know what I mean? I wasn't one of theirs yet. I was an unproven young producer with some scripts and some dreams. And going back to Will's question, probably trying too hard, but I had a good time. Uh, I once passed out in the inside pool on a lounge chair that was floating. It wasn't, uh, I don't think it was designed to float, but somehow, uh, by miracle of God, I didn't drown. I was up there. I woke up two days later. Uh, Abdul Bahara asks, uh, do you have a dessert preference? Yes, uh, banana cream pie. And I'll tell you where my favorite banana cream pie is. It's at uh, the... It's a little small diner in uh, North Hollywood, California, called the NoHo Diner. You wouldn't think it's a 24-hour place. Got a lot of pictures of stars up on the on the wall. There's a picture of Morgan Fairchild up there that's to die for. Uh, a, a picture of Jacqueline Smith that's to die for. Uh, and they got banana cream pie that's to, to die for. Another pie I like is chocolate mousse pie, Abdul. And that is uh, my favorite one is at the Smokehouse in Los Angeles, which has been around for about 75 years. Johnny Carson used to go there to hang out. Frank Sinatra used to go there all the time. I actually uh, had dinner with Frank there one time. He he created a meal there. You can go uh, order a a meal there called Steak Sinatra. And that's my my favorite there. Uh, Tony S. Cahuda. Petey, you keep saying I'm saying that wrong. Tony S. Kahusha Jr. No? Tony Jr. What's up, Tony? Um, He asks, would you have a glass of whiskey? Who would you have a glass of whiskey with that you would never have a chance to and why? Oh, that's a great question. I'll tell you what, there's there's, uh, uh, the the person I'd want to have the glass of whiskey with that I uh, never had a chance to was, of course, uh, New York Giants manager John McGraw died um, died in uh, in the 1930s, uh, early 1930s. He had, he had uh, stopped managing there for a while. Manager of Mel Ott. So John McGraw knew how to run a baseball team. He was ahead of his time. He was uh, uh, just a stubborn, feisty, pig-headed manager, and that's how baseball should be played. So him. But in terms of Hollywood, just in case uh, your question was related more to Hollywood, Tony, I say uh, the drink uh, I'd like to have, the whiskey I would like to have, is someone I haven't had a chance to uh, yet, and that's Donald Glover. I think that kid has got something, and uh, I'd like to have a whiskey with him. I don't know if he drinks whiskey. We'll find out. Zach Anderson asks, where's the best place to have a business lunch? Well, until Steven Seagal, I thought Sizzler, Zach, but uh, uh, Smokehouse in Los Angeles is actually my favorite business lunch spot. They got the best garlic bread in the world. That's what it says on the menu, and they're not lying. That garlic bread? Go picture. Check it out there. Do I prefer Irish whiskey or scotch, says J.W. Bassman, who is also known as First Rate Nate on other social media. Yes, I'm familiar with that name, and I enjoy Irish whiskey. But tonight... We definitely have this peach and vodka. All right, last question of the night here. So if you got other questions coming in, hold on to them. Sit on your questions, all right? Sit on your questions, kids. Uh, we have got this final question from Star Wars KOTO or Movie Saga. What the hell name is this? It sounds like some kind of space disease that kills Luke Skywalker. Star Wars. K-O-T-O-R movie saga. That is interesting there. Uh, He asks, uh, I'm assuming it's a he because, 
Only a, a, a nerdy white male would have a username that long. Even the, the women that like Star Wars are like, that's too much for a self-respecting human. Um, he says, Dutch, what are your plans for Valentine's Day? And uh, yes, uh, that's a good question. Valentine's Day is this week. Dutch Allen is currently alone. Dutch Allen doesn't uh, have any social engagements planned. Uh, so what, uh, what we're doing here on Valentine's Day is I am uh, sitting at home and I am grabbing my VCR. Yes, that's right. I said VCR. And I am going to watch the entire run of the A-Team. because George Papad is one of my favorite people in the world. I miss him dearly. And I, I met Mr. T, and I had a lot of fun with Mr. T. Uh, in, uh, about the time Rocky came out, was that Rocky 2 or 3? Um, and uh, he was in that one, right? And Club Lane. And I, uh, I loved him there. And Dirk Benedict. Dirk, let me tell you something about Dirk Benedict. Dirk Benedict, following Battlestar Galactica, I mean, that guy, that guy should have been what, what Al Alda was for the uh, sincere kind of uh, pathos type of programming. Dirk Benedict should have been for action adventure, space sci-fi TV, but it, it, didn't, it didn't happen much after that, but I enjoyed that. So that's what I'm going to do. Home, probably some whiskey. Comfortable pants, comfortable house shoes, and I'm going to watch the entire run of the A-Team on my VCR. Happy Halloween to me. All right? So, that is uh, towards, uh, that's bringing us towards the end of the show here, and we got to do some housekeeping on the way out. Uh, if you are a fan of uh, the Knapsack Files, you're used to some of this stuff here. So we have to uh, do some call-outs, some shout-outs is what we like to do here. If you're a Patreon supporter, you can go to patreon.com slash the Knapsack Files currently, though I'm, I'm hearing that they're, they're talking about changing that. Stay tuned. Uh, follow Kenny Knapsack on Twitter at Ken Knapsack and get more of the um, information there. But we got some high-tier supporters on Patreon. We like to shout-out, as the kids would say. So thanks to Jason Humphreys, Pags, Kite Thatch, Kyle Gerbrandt, Zach Anderson, who's been listening live as I record this, Jonas Bergman, Corey Morissette, Graham Bell, Kyle Harlow, he's a good kid. He designs T-shirts. You can buy them on Tee Public. Ty Schellenberger, uh, not to be confused with former uh, Louisville coach, football coach Howard Schnellenberger, Michelle Cox, Andrew Hale, and Will McLean, who's uh, uh, Will McLean's watching tonight. Uh, there, not to be confused with John McLean. Uh, McLean, McLean, uh, David Ham, DJ Snacks, Thomas Risling, who uh, sometimes is, goes by the name Sir Thomas Atoll, and he participates in a show called Casterly Talk that's ready to launch full. You should uh, check him out. Lethal Logan X, Matthew Simon, Bedore, Matthew Moroni, Matthew Thompson, uh, Tamor B, the famous hip hop artist, uh, is uh, watching here right now as I record. Nikki Baldwin, Abdul Bahuda. And Donald Long. Uh, those are our supporters there, so that is that. A um, lot of fun. You guys are the best. This was a lot of fun. If you were watching live, what a great experiment. I hope it worked out for you. And uh, we'll do it again sometime. For those who are listening on the podcast form, you are the best. And uh, we're going to be signing on out here, doing our thing. But I'll tell you right now, this was a lot of fun. We'll do it again Dutch Allen here. That was inside Tinseltown. And you know the score now. See you all. Bye-bye. Petey, it worked, yeah. What? Team?
want to go to Smokehouse? I think Marvin Robinson's playing a set tonight. We can catch some music there. That'd be good, yeah? You want to do that? All right. Sounds great to me. I like... Yeah, the, yeah, the peach was good. All right. They got to go.